name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Please be seated. Behold the man. Pilate spoke these words to the crowd that had gathered to put Jesus to death. His intent was to show them that Jesus had been punished enough. He had been severely beaten, and he was now presented to the crowd for mockery. He who claimed to be their king would be lucky to survive his injuries, and if he did, he would bear the scars and the deformity for the rest of his life. He would never be the same as he was before. Pilate presented Jesus to them wrapped in a purple robe. They had pressed a crown of thorns into his head with sticks. Behold the man, Pilate said, a man who would have been covered in blood, perhaps barely able to stand, shaking from his injuries, his body in shock. Torture and humiliation were the goal, all to appease a bloodthirsty crowd. But it wouldn't be enough. Crucify him. Probably one individual said it first, giving voice to the disgust and hatred that was in them all. Then another joined, and then a few, and then the whole crowd was shouting, Crucify him! Jesus had claimed to be the Son of God, which is a claim to be God. Man begets man, God begets God. To claim to be God's Son is to claim to be God. But they didn't merely hate Jesus for this claim. If he were the kind of God that they wanted him to be, there wouldn't have been any problem. They hated Jesus because he was not at all the kind of God they wanted. He was not at all the kind of Messiah that they wanted. This was the true reason for the crowd's cruelty. Why torture, why humiliation were simply not enough. Why even a humane death was not enough. But the crowd demanded the most inhumane of all deaths for him, crucifixion. The crowd so vehemently hated Jesus because of the kind of God that he was and represented. Objectively, they hated God precisely for who he is. And if you have not found that part of yourself, that's not because you are more holy than the crowd was. It's because you do not yet know yourself. Even in Christians, the old Adam that remains hates God with absolute hatred, with merciless, murderous, crucify him hatred, simply because God is who he is. Why would God ever deliver his son into our murderous hands? Why would the Son of God ever give himself into our treasonous hands? He became man for this very purpose, for this very reason, that we might have our way with him. 
How can it be that Almighty God, maker of heaven and earth, could be so humble, so willing? But he is. God Almighty is, in his heart of hearts, meek and lowly of heart, giving of himself even to those who hate him, willing to give himself into the hands of his own fallen creatures, that we might have our way with him, that we might beat him, torture him, mock him, and crucify him, that we might put God to death. And yet, through this, this greatest and most vile evil, the same God, meek and lowly of heart, would work our greatest good. By the very wounds that we inflicted upon him, he would have us healed. By the very humiliation that we would put him through, he would have us glorified as his sons. By the very blood that we would shed, he would have us cleansed, atoned for, purchased to be his own. Your mileage may vary, but when I think about these things, it's the closest I can get to experiencing what the scriptures call the fainting of the soul. My soul faints within me. Looking into Jesus' death on the cross is like looking into the very heart of God and not even being able to conceive of the kind of goodness that one finds. It's like looking into the very heart of love and not being able to fathom how far my own heart is from his, how far every heart is from his. There is no one good but God, and God alone is love. In the greatest possible expression of our hatred, we find the greatest possible expression of his love, a love that is unique to our God. Cyril of Alexandria, a late 4th, early 5th century church father, wrote of Jesus, he was scourged unjustly that he might deliver us from the justice we deserve. For if we think aright, we shall believe that all Christ's sufferings were for us and on our behalf and have the power to release us and deliver us from all those calamities we have deserved for our revolt from God. Because we have, as the prophet Isaiah says, all gone astray, every man after his own way. The Lord has given himself up for our transgressions, and for us is himself afflicted. He was bruised for our iniquities and has given his own back to the scourge and his cheeks to the smiters. What Cyril was pointing out is, of course, the plain teaching of Isaiah chapters 52 and 53 that were just read. Man is not the only one who is afflicting Christ in his passion and crucifixion. 
Isaiah says, All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord laid on him the iniquity of us all. In the first place, we see that sin at its essence is selfishness. Each person doing what he or she wants. That's not freedom. That's the essence of sin, the essence of bondage. It is the self turned in on itself. And curvatus in se is the Latin that our Lutheran fathers used. And this self-centeredness and all the resulting sins of omission, what we've done, or excuse me, what we've left undone, and commission, what we've done, are taken by the Lord and laid on Jesus. Isaiah says plainly, the Lord laid on him the iniquity of us all. So he is stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But not for his own sins and iniquities, as the crowd around the cross had thought. He is stricken, smitten by God and afflicted because he bears the iniquity of us all. He is struck by God with the blow that we deserve. And here we glimpse how it is that Jesus is the sole mediator between God and man. In the first place, he absorbs the sinful and unjust blows that fallen man directs toward God. And in the second place, he absorbs all the righteous and perfectly just blows from holy God against fallen man. Jesus bears it all alone. For those who strike him unjustly, he prays, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And to the one who strikes him justly, because he bears our sins, he prays in perfect faith, My God, my God. Even when God has forsaken him, he retains his faith. Perfect man. This, Luther will say, is the greatest of all holy mysteries, second only to the Holy Trinity, the person and work of Christ. It's called a mystery not because we know nothing about it, but because all we can know about it comes from Scripture. It humbles human reason and sets our souls in a place of unspeakable awe. As we behold the man with the eyes of faith, we behold one who is struck by men and by God. As we behold Christ and him crucified, we behold both the justice and the mercy of God. As St. Paul says, that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Christ. Let us repent of all the ways that we have gone astray. Let us repent of all the ways that we have sought our own. Let us mourn our sin. And let us also see that the Lord, in both justice and mercy, has laid our iniquities on Christ, true man and true God. Indeed, a God who was punched, beaten, scourged, and nailed to a tree 
a God whose heart was pierced with a Roman spear so that we might have the very heart of God open to us and poured out for us. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, amen.